0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Digital Dive, a conversation about tech. My name is Jacqueline and I'm one of your co-hosts. In this week's episode, we talk about the rumored Pixel Buds, which Google accidentally tweeted, iOS 14.5, the updates, and kind of what's been going on with the antitrust lawsuit with Epic. There is so much drama and inks going on, so we gotta get into it. And then also some potential ideas for either a late Mother's Day gift or an early Father's Day gift, and a lot more, so roll the intro. first thing that we want to talk about is the elephant in the room here. Darsh is not here right now. He is the other co-host of this podcast, Darsh Kathani, one of the best guys, really good friend of mine, and obviously co-owner of Digital Dive. He's tied up with stuff this week. So we both did the topics and everything together. So we're kind of on the same page with that, but I'm going to be the solo host. You're going to have to let me know how I did. I'm a little nervous right now. I'm not going to lie. This is my first time recording like a full on solo podcast. that isn't just for a journal entry that I'm doing because I do that with a professional microphone because I'm crazy. It should be a really good episode. Actually, I think that these topics in this episode are my favorite in the last month or two months. So really excited. And we're going to start it off with these new Pixel Bud rumors. I'm really sad that Darcy isn't here in general, but especially because of this obviously we talk about wireless tech a lot with the pixel buds they came out around maybe eight or ten months ago now and they launched for 179 dollars. they got some pretty solid reviews at first because people really liked the build and the design quality like the case looks so clean definitely was the google aesthetic and i reviewed them actually and i think that the title that i used in that video was the one for some or like something no No, wow, I'm so wrong about that. The title was music lovers beware. And it was basically because they sound really good for calls and they're super convenient and they're comfortable. But for music, they were very tinny, like they lacked bass and just generally they sounded a lot worse to me than the AirPods and the Galaxy Buds live and Galaxy Buds. So I like them. I'm actually holding them in my hand right now. I use them sometimes when Darsh and I are recording. They also were plagued with this Bluetooth issue that I've been seeing kind of pop up on social media of it being inconsistent with pairing. And I have not personally experienced it yet, but I gave these to a friend to borrow and they experienced it and they were like, I cannot pair this to my phone. What is going on here? That's a little breakdown of the regular Pixel Buds, but Google accidentally posted a tweet today saying that the Pixel Buds A series had arrived. And obviously they have not. There's been no official announcement. Google I.O. is coming up on May 18th and the tweet was soon after deleted. Say what you will, either this is an intentional marketing play from Google to kind of get headlines about it, like, oh no, Google leaked their latest product, or they accidentally did. It kind of hoping it's a former because I would not like to see anyone get fired for the latter. So in this tweet, we learn not that much about them, but some pretty important things. So they say quality sound and quick Bluetooth pairing. It's interesting to me that they focused on the Bluetooth pairing aspect because obviously that's kind of a pain point for some users and quality sound as well. They're definitely gonna be cheaper than the $179 model, which makes sense. Obviously, with manufacturers removing headphone jacks, there's this huge opportunity in the market to come in and launch Bluetooth headphones and have that be the standard. And uh, I'm excited to see a cheaper one. Apple has AirPods Pro and regular AirPods, which are at two different price points, 179 and 229 Samsung has a bunch of different headphones as well. So it makes sense for Google to kind of venture into this market and hit it at a lower price. And obviously they're made for the Pixel, but they're also made for other Android phones. So fingers crossed, super stoked about it. The tweet said quality sound and quick Bluetooth pairing. Check. The new Pixel Buds A have arrived. Enjoy one tap Bluetooth pairing with an updated fast pair experience. So hopeful that the experience will be better. And the screenshot that they posted, it looks a lot like the AirPods Pro experience, if you know that, like where you bring your phone near it and then a little thing pops up on the bottom half of the screen where you can quickly set up your headphones. Looks similar to that. I'm stoked that they're marketing that and kind of like, copying Apple's feature. I think that's a really smart feature to copy. And then also we may be expecting some other stuff at Google I.O. too. So I'm attending. I was invited this year. This is my first year being invited, which I'm like honored, stoked, all the words about. Cannot wait. Of course, it's virtual. So it's a little different than being invited in person, but I'm still super excited to attend it as press. And it starts on May 18th. That's kind of the first story of the week. Keen to hear your thoughts on it if you want to share. If you don't, that's chill too. You can just passively listen. But if you do want to share, you can tweet Darsh and I on Twitter at Digital Dive Pod. I think the other thing that I'm kind of maybe the most excited to talk about is this antitrust lawsuit. Darsh and I have been tracking this really, really closely throughout the episodes. Legal disclaimer here, these are all opinions. None this is fact. I'm not trying to defame any company, individual, et cetera. I think it's really interesting to talk about because it kind of feels like there is a tension between Apple and a lot of other companies right now because Apple is really solidifying their values as a company that's focused on experience, ecosystem, and privacy. And on that note, we talked about last week the Apple versus Facebook thing with the iOS 14.5 update which not only introduced the ability to unlock your phone with a mask on with Face ID which is great but also this new feature where you can ask apps not to track you. I made a full video breakdown of this in my new series Tech Explained that I'm co-producing with Luke, the incredible editor of this podcast. But there's been some friction there obviously. Facebook is kind of adamantly like not down for this update because it could potentially affect them and the people that advertise with them if they can't get a personalized picture of you and they if they can't track you outside of the application and obviously it affects other companies as well. Instagram is doing a pop-up in the Instagram app basically saying keep on trackable ads like don't shut this off keeping this on is our way of making Instagram free as if they're not an incredibly profitable company that makes so much from our data and keeping on the platform so problematic in my opinion with that take of playing the victim I think if they were a little more transparent it would fly better playing the victim of like oh no look what Apple did to us people kind of just feel as inauthentic Taking a quick sip of cold brew right now. Gotta gotta mention the cold brew. That's kind of where Apple's at with Facebook, right? But they've also been in this huge thing with Epic and Fortnite because earlier this year, Fortnite wanted to add in-app purchases but they wanted to kind of cut Apple out of it. They did something that went against Apple's terms of services and Apple banned the app. So now there's this whole lawsuit. It's huge. They're bringing in witnesses from other companies like CEOs of other applications that have been negatively affected by Apple's rules. The CEO of Epic, Tim Sweeney, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, is talking for hours on the stand about Epic's intentions and Fortnite and why Apple's stance on this is problematic. And I feel like The Verge wrote like just a knockout piece about it. The sub headline for piece is what you're really asking for is the ability to have impulse purchases. So I kind of want to break down what's going on. So if you are having a conversation with a friend later in the day, you'll know exactly what to say, I hope. And maybe you're just interested in learning more about it. So here's kind of how it's going. It started, as I said, with this Epic edition of in-app purchases with V-Bucks and Apple that went against their terms of services because Apple, you often have to pay them a cut because you're facilitating the sale. Fortnite and Epic think that that cut is too high and Apple is very, very locked down. Like there's only one app store on iOS and they do that because it keeps the ecosystem kind of locked, right? And it means that they can control what applications enter and they can better control if people are getting scammed and they can easily or more easily help people, customers, if they want a refund. If everything goes through the Apple funnel, it means that their customers at the end of the day get a better experience because it's easier to track your subscriptions all within the apps or app. They can remind you, they can tell you about payment increases. That's Apple's perspective in my opinion. And Apple also, like one of the main reasons why you buy Apple is for the privacy and the ecosystem and the reliability. Like I remember Android a few years ago had this really bad rap or maybe like five, six years ago and it still kind of does in some communities of being like you're much less safe on Android because everything is open you can download things your data is less secure that was like the rhetoric of the people that were pro iOS if that's like the main reason or one of the main reasons why your company's doing so well you're probably pretty apprehensive to change it so Apple is like really holding their ground here this trial is going on it's an antitrust trial that Apple is creating like these unfair conditions for other businesses to flourish I'm really interested to see how it plays out the first day or this first part of the trial was all about support for cross-wallet play. And Apple actually did support that before banning Fortnite last year. But it's basically the idea that if I bought V-Bucks on one platform and then I went over to another platform and used it, I would not have to give a cut to the other platform that I'm using it on. Apple is basically saying that you can buy things through iOS. So I'm gonna give an example here to make this tangible. Let's say I'm a meditation app. I charge you $10 a month to have a subscription to hear my meditations, right? And you subscribe and you listen to meditations every day and you subscribe within the app and it's $10. Apple then gets a cut of those $10. So I, the meditation app creator, I don't get the $10 a month. I get a percentage of that. And then I give 15 to 30% to Apple, right? For facilitating the sale. And then my customer, you, would manage their subscription and stuff via the app store. But I could also offer subscriptions online. And then I would not have to give Apple a cut. So for example, Spotify which switched to doing this. In order to keep their prices competitive, they didn't want to have to give Apple a cut. So now you can't manage your subscriptions with Spotify through the app if you're on iOS. You have to buy your plan, manage your plan, etc. through Safari. So it makes it less convenient and there's less incidental purchases. Like if I'm thinking about buying this meditation app thing and then I click on it and I have to go to a website, maybe now I think like, do I need this meditation app? Maybe I can find it on YouTube. Do I really want to spend $120 a year on this? Like it's not just a one-click purchase. There is probably a significant reduction in the people like, do it if you have to do it through a web browser. Spotify was kind of going with rhetoric obviously. And then the idea, which was the subheading of this article, was what you're really asking for is the ability to have impulse purchases. Like They asked Fortnite about their audience demographic and how it's younger people. And Rogers, who's a main person in this case, suggested that the friction would actually be a good thing. And they said, why is it so inconvenient that someone can't make what I would call as a parent an impulse purchase? Isn't that a responsible way to deal with a young client base? What you're really asking for is the ability to have impulse purchases. So what she's basically saying is that like you are mad about this change because it makes it so people have to think more about purchasing. They're not just mindlessly purchasing something. And then they sit back, yes, customer convenience is a huge factor in this. People are much more likely to make a purchase if it's easy to make a purchase. So they're a business. So obviously their bottom line is profits, right? But there's a way to make profits and be ethical, in my opinion. And I think that Apple is trying to really hold their ground on this because it's not just that they would make an allowance for Fortnite. There's many companies like Fortnite. For example, they had Benjamin Simon, who's the CEO of a yoga app called Down Dog, And he was talking about how if you buy through the App Store, you pay a premium. Whereas if you buy through Down Dog, you get a discount. So half of their iOS user base right now is paying a premium through the App Store. But on Android, only 10% of their user base is paying this premium because on Android, it's a lot more transparent that you can get this discount on the website, right? So he said, quote unquote, we're restricted in our ability to communicate with our customers from within our product. So basically, because Apple is creating like this walled garden system and they're checking everything and the ecosystem is really important to them, they're not allowing certain things that Android or other platforms will allow. Some people would claim that's creating like this anti-business conditions, right? Where it's really hard to grow a business if you're an Apple, if you're a monopoly, that type of thing. It's a complicated situation. I honestly think I align more so with Apple here than any other company. And I'm not saying that Apple is the most ethical company in the world world or that they don't have ulterior motives and things like that. But from what we've seen in the last few years, they really have stuck their ground on privacy. And maybe that's because it's advantageous to their intangible asset, which is their brand image. But maybe it's also because not all people are bad people, right? Like if I was the CEO of a major company like this, I would care more about ethics and keeping people safe than the bottom line, right? So I think that it's important to be skeptical, but I also think it's important to know that like not every company is there just to make money and not add any value into the community. And it feels like opening up the app store could be good for some brands, right? It could be advantageous to them to make more money, but it could have repercussions that not only hurt maybe Apple's brand image, but also just make the consumer more susceptible to forgetting about subscriptions, having everything decentralized, getting worse customer support. There's a lot here. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how this antitrusting plays out and how it affects other markets. Marquez just made an incredible video talking about the AirTags versus Tile and how either way Tile is kind of screwed because they either join the Find My Network, which Apple approves you for, and then people set up their tiles to the Find My Network, making Apple's network bigger and bigger, which makes AirTags a more enticing product because there are more people that your AirTag can interact with, or they don't join the Find My Network and they keep their own app growing their own network of devices, but then people are more likely to buy an AirTag because it's more convenient and it goes in the Find My app. So either way, it's like a catch-22. It's interesting. I mean, when you get to a certain size, right, there are so many opportunities for you as a brand. It would kind of be like if one of the major tech YouTubers, let's say Marquez, decided to venture into making Bluetooth speakers, right? Would he have a competitive advantage in that because he has an audience of 10 million people that love and trust him? Yeah, but he built that audience. So is it unfair that he would be able to kind of monopolize maybe that industry within the tech niche? I don't know, right? Like I I don't, of course, again, this is not legal advice because I do not know the legal things behind this. This is just like a summary so you can kind of make your own opinions. But I think it's interesting to kind of take what's going on with Apple and Fortnite and apply it to an industry that we're more familiar with so we can kind of see it for what it is, which is in some ways a company using their competitive advantages and the core values of the company to get ahead and create conditions that are good for their company. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. And if you want to have a dialogue about it, definitely feel free to tweet us, message us whatever but i'm feeling like because this whole episode is just me that maybe you're getting a little tired of hearing my voice we're gonna go to a really quick break and then when we come back we're gonna be talking about this new youtube original series with will smith and alicia keys and kind of just like some thoughts on how this affects the creator economy as a whole and then also some really interesting tech gadgets and gifts that maybe you could do for mother's day if you forgot as a late gift or maybe you can do for an early father's day gift so we'll be right back welcome back from the break. So obviously Mother's Day in the United States is on May 9th and Father's Day is in June. But it's always good to start thinking early and honestly like treat yourself too. There's so many cool tech as gifts and I think that it'd be really, I don't know, I just sometimes like buying random stuff for people in my life and also just for myself sometimes just as like a little pick-me-up type thing. Doesn't need to be extravagant. So I'm gonna just kind of like go through the tiers of different types of gifts that you can get people from. Maybe like just a casual gift to a more expensive one. So to start casually, a really good recommendation that I actually have for you is a fast charger. Obviously fast chargers are super popularized now. A lot of the most recent flagships are able to supercharge like fast charge and there are so many good options. So I would recommend one from Anchor. If you go on Amazon, you can look up Anchor fast charger and there'll be a plethora of options there. And that's like a cheap gift, but it's something that can affect someone's life every day. If you can make it so if they forget to charge their phone overnight, they're not utterly screwed in the morning, you're set. Right? That's solid. That's my first one on like the cheaper side. Obviously, they can get expensive, but that would be my first one that I think is actually a really solid gift. Another one that is a little more expensive now is a Chromecast. So, funny story here, I actually bought a Chromecast many, many years ago to watch some YouTube videos while I'm working out. And I tried to set it up, and the TV was mounted to the wall in a way that I could not get it back there. It was like one of the old ones that was a stick and it would break off in the TV if I tried to do it. But they came out with this new design, which has a cable and it's more fluid so you can kind of put it into different areas. And this happened a long time ago, but I just set up the Chromecast. I bought a new one and it's amazing. I'm watching Modern Family Galore, which is an incredible show. And it's so easy with the Chromecast and to control it right from your phone. And that's also a gift that can change someone's day, maybe even change your day. Who knows? So I think that's a really solid one. Another gift that I think is really cool to get someone is a good mouse. The Logitech G502 gaming mouse looks really clean with an RGB, but it's also a wireless mouse that's super comfortable and it's perfect for someone if they're to Fortnite and they want a game or if they're just interested in editing. I'm actually on that trackpad life. Like I love trackpads. I edit all my videos of the trackpad. So this would not be for me, but if it's for you, solid. And if not, there are some other trackpads. My favorite is from Apple. Also, The Verge has an incredible article where they go over a lot of other gifts as well. So they definitely were some inspo for this and also they have other ones. So I'll link that in the show notes if you wanna check it out. Another gift, and this will round off my recommending you to spend your money, is the Apple Watch SE. Obviously, Apple Watches are maybe now the most popular watch ever. How is that possible? It's unreal, but they can be expensive and they can definitely get up there in price, but the Apple Watch SE offers you really good value and a lot of features that the more expensive Apple Watch has, but for a cheaper price. So I think that that could be a really good gift to get someone. I have been weirdly wearing my watch a little bit less in quarantine, but I still really like it. It's great for workouts to easily access your music. Like if you're going on a run and you don't want to take your phone or you put your phone in your pocket, to be able to still control your music and stuff is really great. It obviously is Bluetooth, so you can connect to your headphones. I think it's a really solid gift, honestly. And obviously the OnePlus Watch just came out, but that is getting more mixed reviews. I'm excited to maybe test that. I hope, fingers crossed, that that happens. But the Apple watch is an all around like solidly rated product and that would be my last recommendation so oh actually i have one more for you that is just not tech but incredible baked by melissa cupcakes if you want to make someone's day they make not only incredibly designed boxes like for whatever the holiday is like if it's mother's day like the box like looks amazing that maybe you even want to keep it that's how good it looks but the cupcakes are bite-sized definitely instagram worthy like they look really aesthetic and they're delicious The next topic and the last topic of this episode, I want to talk about YouTube originals and kind of YouTube's philosophy with traditional media celebrities because it just came out this week during a meeting with their advertisers. They are launching new originals starring Will Smith and Alicia Keys. So Will Smith's series is going to be about getting back into the best shape of his life and Alicia Keys is going to be kind of walking through her new album. YouTube Originals is kind of an interesting story here because when it first launched it was a subscription only type of thing and they worked with some creators and some traditional media people, Will Smith included, to create these high production value shows on YouTube. But I think one of the main reasons why people come to YouTube is for the home like video style production. Like Mr. Beast has been like quoted saying that he purposely shoots his videos in a lower quality way so they feel more authentic. It took them a little while to find their footing of if they're working with a creator, keeping the style similar to the creator's channel, like higher production value, but that similar one-to-one feel. They're working with Marquez actually on Retro Tech Season 2. Season 1 was last year. It was incredible. Season 2 has been incredible so far as well. And they're working with Liza Koshi and a lot of YouTubers that are really big on the platform, but then they bring in these bigger people. I think the first question is like, why, right? Obviously this year, we're seeing a lot of traditional media celebrities flock to YouTube because movie sets are closed down with COVID and also owning your distribution is really important. If you're Alicia Keys having a direct connection with the people that interface with your music is awesome and important. And like, for example, Brie Larson, who plays Captain Marvel, definitely like a very A-list celebrity, really accomplished person, really talented person. She started a YouTube channel and basically said that she wanted to just like explore more facets of herself, which I think is valid because if the public constantly knows you as just playing this character of Captain Marvel, then they don't actually know Brie Larson. They just know your work and owning your YouTube channel means that you can show the audience more of who you are. And a lot of traditional media celebrities do this horribly, right? Because they hire huge teams of production and they treat it as if it's a TV show and not an intimate connection with the viewer and they flop but she really seems to have a good understanding of it and it's really interesting to see these traditional media celebrities come over to platforms like YouTube and have to figure out the formats on the footing and the fact that if you're a relationship-based channel, people just want to know about your life and the things that you don't think are important, right? So Emma Chamberlain is an incredible example of a creator that's crushing it that I think a lot of traditional media celebrities can look at. But YouTube definitely has like this infatuation with traditional media celebrities because I think people are getting there with YouTube creators, but they still think of A-list celebrities in a different tier and especially advertisers. And advertisers want to be reassured that the YouTube platform's not going anywhere. Influencers can sometimes be a liability if they do unethical things, even if they're like the top creator's. On the platform obviously we've seen many top creators turn out to be bad people and have done bad things and obviously traditional media celebrities can do that as well but i guess their image is a little bit more controlled like if you're will smith you probably have a really big pr team that kind of controls the narrative a little bit more about your life than if you're a really big YouTuber that doesn't have that team and is just kind of posting whatever you want. So it, it stabilizes the industry a little bit where the advertisers feel more comfortable that like, all right, there's some continent on here that we understand is going to go over well. Obviously it's guaranteed viewership because people that are super fans of Alicia Keys or Will Smith are gonna check out the videos. And I think it is a really, really interesting thing. Other thing that's interesting about this that I'll close out with here and definitely let Darshan and I know if you wanna hear more about like the creator economy on this podcast, it obviously relates to tech, but let us know. Non-traditional creators getting into more traditional forms of media. For example, Dixie D'Amelio, who is a TikToker, but also a musician and a content creator on YouTube, last year started a show where she just interviewed other friends, celebrities, etc. kind of like a talk show, but in her living room, very casual, maybe one or two cameramen, no professional lighting, it seemed, right? Like just a casual, authentic, you like her, so you watch the show type of vibe. She's obviously a super charismatic host. And now she has this entire Set that is huge. She's had Dave Portnoy on. She's had Haley Bieber on. She's had Noah Beck on. A lot of people in the industry in this really professional studio environment, which seems like there's multiple cameramen and it's on a soundstage. Like it definitely seems kind of like Jimmy Fallon almost, right? So that's a. Non-traditional media creator maybe transitioning into it, but hosting it on YouTube, getting millions and millions of views. And we just saw with the latest award shows that it got less than 10 million viewers tuning in. So there's this huge opportunity for YouTube to still stay the authentic personal platform that it is, but also incorporate traditional media into it. Obviously, late night show clips do really, really well on YouTube, carpool karaoke, like traditional media people that can figure out formats that speak to authenticity and fun and kind of the YouTube way will succeed. And also I think that they can really look at non-traditional media people that that are doing traditional media forms and kind of see what makes them successful. Like what is Dixie D'Amelio doing that Jimmy Fallon can copy, right? I think there's a big opportunity there. Cullen and Samir did a full video about Emma Chamberlain and why she is like the creator. And I thought it was an incredible video. So if you want to learn more about the creator economy stuff, I would definitely recommend checking it out. I want to give you guys a couple of my thoughts about hosting this by myself, and then we're going to head to the outro so you can hear the incredible music one more time by Ideal Constantine. Quick thoughts on this, and then I promise I will let you go. I think that it was okay. I hope. I, I don't I don't think this was incredible. I mean, I hope I'm wrong and you liked it, but it's definitely much harder without Darsh just because the show is a conversation. So I tried to make this conversational, even though it's just me. Also, Darsh is just an incredible guy and who wouldn't want to spend an hour recording with him, right? We'll be back next week, normal episodes. I am super excited for then. But until then, I hope that this episode kind of held you over. We wanted to make sure that we didn't miss a week of recording. There was also kind of a stacked week of tech news that felt like we had to cover. So I was stoked to do it. I definitely had a lot of fun recording this. So I hope that that at least came through if nothing else and I want to thank you so much for your time and your just support I mean it's crazy how incredible it is like when we when we uh read tweets like we tear up I mean you guys are amazing so thank you so much Darsha's birthday is coming up and I've been seeing tweets about that too which is incredible if you want to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts with a comment we read every single one for real and it's incredible and we love it and we thank you guys so much I want to give a huge shout out to Adil Constantine who made the incredible intro and outro music and our incredible friend Luke who not only edits a podcast but he's just a great guy and his socials and stuff will be linked in the show notes as well thank you so much for listening to this one hope you had a good time hanging out monday morning with me episodes every week 7 a.m central 8 a.m eastern and we will catch you next week thank you guys for everything have an awesome start to your day bye